I am such a huge fan of that intro music. I love the fact that our editor, Josh Rayner, has put that together as part of this podcast. I think it just adds that extra bit of energy. And the only problem I have with it is that when I hear it, I immediately wish that I was watching episodes of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. However, because I'm here to talk about comic books, my favorite thing about that music is it gets me excited about, well, all the new comic books I get to talk about each and every week, right here on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. This is episode number 26. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. And as I mentioned, this week like every week, I go through all the books published by DC Comics and pick out my top five. I share my score, my thoughts, and more importantly, ways for you to get in touch with me and DC Comics News so you can let us know your thoughts, your opinions, and whether or not you think I'm right on or just a bit off the mark. We're going to dive right in today with my first choice for episode number 26. And these are in no particular order. It's just how I choose to go through them. My first choice this week is Riddler, Year of the Villain. In a story titled Thanks for Nothing, written by Mark Russell and featuring art from Scott Godlewski, colors by Marissa Louise, letters by Travis Lanham, we get the chance to do something different with the Riddler. The Year of the Villain has, for the most part, been about Lex Luthor and everything he's been doing with the Legion of Doom and, well, every villain on the planet that he thinks deserves an upgrade, an opportunity to use what Lex has collected regarding advanced technology and intelligence to upgrade each villain and give them a mission to actually follow through on what they've always said they were going to do. The Riddler has gotten no such offer. And for the most part, the issue is really an opportunity to see whether or not a hero, a villain, a man, a person can change. The story starts out in the restaurant of King Tut, and Tut and Edward Nigma are trying to break down the eternal question, how is it that the Batman always defeats them? To which Nigma believes he has the perfect answer. He says that the challenge is to kill the single best prepared for violence man in the world. And that the challenge with that is that all Batman has to do is survive. They can come up with the most elaborate plans, the most brilliant schemes. But if there's one flaw, Batman will achieve his objective, which is to survive and in the process, take them down. The story does a nice job of talking about an old caper, one in which King Tut believed that he had trapped Batman in a unwinnable situation, only to have one of those, well, important details Riddler was talking about come through and disrupt everything. Riddler leaves the conversation frustrated, disappointed, only to find Lex Luthor actually at his home. But instead of getting the offer from Lex to upgrade his technology, his powers, his abilities, his crew, or some other aspect of his villainy so that he can join the mission of the Legion of Doom. 
Luther instead points to what he believes is Riddler's real problem. The fact that he came up with the identity of the Riddler when he was 10, and he's never changed his objectives. Then Lex says this really interesting thing. Well, first he gives a story about a man in his town who believed he could overcome tornadoes by building a metal box that only he could survive in, only to be then crushed by the house that that box was stored in and then cooked alive when that house caught fire. Lex believes that his neighbor was short-sighted, and that's the reason he couldn't see the complications that would eventually befall this invention of the tornado box. And then Lex presents a challenge to Riddler by suggesting that he needs to change where he's been setting his sights. And then he said something or says something quite interesting, which is the idea that living, growing, improving, evolving is a series of saying goodbye to ourselves, of moving past who we were to who we are. And I really enjoyed this concept because it really presents the issue facing the Riddler at this sort of critical moment in his life. The Riddler has gone from being a great cartoon character, something of a leprechaun-like figure, to something much more menacing in stories like The War of the Riddle and Jokes. And when that happened, there was a moment to see just how menacing the sort of inference was after the experience during the Hush storyline. Riddler is a brilliant man. He has potential and capabilities. But what Luther is pointing to is the fact that Riddler is short-sighting himself. He's short-changing himself. He's actually not living up to his potential. And because of that, a sub-story that was developing about how Riddler and King Tut would collaborate to finally take down Batman reaches its crux when the Riddler realizes he no longer wishes to be a part of that plan. He no longer wants to engage with that story. And that something about what Lex Luthor has been saying is sinking in. That Luther has challenged him to not be comfortable with who he was. And then to refer to something that Lex was talking about when it comes to what a question mark is. The idea of this circular shape with a dot at the end, which he suggests the dot gives the question mark itself the illusion of having a point, even though it's actually recognizing and accentuating the question. In Lex's eyes, Riddler has been the only thing standing in his way, in his own way. It's the only thing that limited his possible success. It's why there's also a sub-story about Riddler when he was working at a carnival, running a series of simple scams. And this all comes back to the original phrase that I mentioned earlier from Lex. Life is the process of saying goodbye to ourselves. In this story, Riddler appears to be saying goodbye to himself and his decision to not follow through on the plan with King Tut and also his decision to sort of leave the issue with a question. One that presents the idea of who is Edward Nigma, and if he's no longer the Riddler, who 
will he become? And what will this mean for Batman Universe, the DC Universe? And perhaps even more interesting for me, will this in any way interrupt the Year of the Villain plan that Lex has been so carefully orchestrating? Time will tell, but I really like the way that this development changes the present story of a popular character like the Riddler by challenging who he is, what he can be, and then offering us a chance to follow his story later on and see just what he's capable of becoming. I thought the art was perfectly matched to the great tone of this story, one that was at times serious, at others whimsical. I thought the, the really great details, these beautiful lines and the shading that went with them that captures this over-the-top elaborate scheme concocted by King Tut and how it includes all those great big visuals that have come to be popularized uh, historical references when it comes to Batman. In many ways, referencing the ideas of the, the Bill Finger concepts with the elaborate props, especially in this occasion with King Tut and his elaborate Egyptian themes. The contrast, of course, are the serious moments when Riddler is facing his past, his present, and his future. Although the only part that seemed a bit strange was Lex Luthor, who, during his apex predator look, has been portrayed so differently by so many different artists that each one feels new and unique, and yet at the same time also a little bit confusing. I thought this was a great issue. A great way to start off this episode of The Spinner Rack, and one that I'm going to encourage you to check out, because this one was one that I felt was a solid 5 out of 5. And for this episode, number 26, DC Comics News Podcast, it's a great way to start things off. Now, the fun doesn't stop there, because moving right into my second choice, I have the great pleasure, opportunity, and distinction to talk about Justice League Odyssey, number 13. I've really enjoyed this title. It surprised me, in a, surprised me in a lot of ways. This story, Summon, written by Dan Abnett, featuring layouts by Will Conrad, finishes by Will Conrad and Cliff Richards, colors by Rain Barreto, letters by And World Design, with a cover by Conrad with Barreto, as well as a variant cover by Lucio Perillo. I really enjoyed not only the main cover, which was just packed full of action, especially whenever you've got that sort of head of dark side in the distance and all these figures sort of leaping out through the middle. These new gods, these members of Justice League Odyssey, who have sadly fallen under control of Darkseid. But the variant is also really cool. This great version of an Azrael-like bat figure, the flaming sword, and this orange hue and glow. That's, it's really great art if you're looking for a great art cover. I think this variant is quite gorgeous. But for this issue, I'm going to move past those great covers and slide right into the story. This is a story about Rebirth, about how if you've been keeping up, you saw that in issue number 12, Jessica Cruz took a painful blow from Darkseid. 
and her corpse is discovered by an interesting cast of characters, including a Red Lantern, a Zamora scientist, and an interesting figure who refers to himself as a cult. This all takes place on a still salvageable or attempting to be salvageable science academy research station from the people known as the Samarans. And it was designed to study the source wall and it was later ruined when the source wall collapsed. It's approximately 90 light years from the ghost sector and it is part of a plan by this team to influence the clearly growing threat from Darkseid. That is their mission, but that mission changes when the device they use to pull new gods to their assistance instead only brings three figures. One who just happens to be Starfire's sister. The second is the corpse of Jessica Cruz identified and registered by the computer. And finally, an interesting looking box that appears to me to be a mother box, omega box, or something along those lines. There's a, an intriguing moment when the characters decide to do a bit of an autopsy and realize that Jessica Cruz was killed by Darkseid and by his omega beans and that based on what they are able to also sort of gather from the evidence is that her right hand was crushed before that happened and that she appeared to raise her left hand in some sort of action before she was killed. Now, these characters are only taking this at face value, but details that are very important include the idea that the ring she was wearing on her right hand was broken, crushed, in some way and pieces of it were in her bloodstream there's also omega beam radiation in her bloodstream they don't understand how this can be part of an equation until on page 14 jessica comes in through the door and that's a spoiler i'm sorry but by now i think it's pretty well known fact that she's made it through if you've either a been keeping up on previews or any solicitation announcements and Jessica is alive because she has in some way been able to turn her body into a conduit in which shards of the Green Lantern ring and radiation from the Omega beams have charged the pieces of ring and restored her to life. How is this important? Well, for them, it means that they have another member on their team, one who can provide them with information, like that their plan to get more new gods is going to fail because all the new gods are dead, according to Darkseid, and that she's committed to get things working so that they can continue to try to stop Darkseid, despite the fact that now facing the new information she's provided, this team that it seems so resolved appears to have lost its cause. There's no point in continuing with any argument, though, when the announcement is made that Darkseid has discovered where they are, sent agents to stop them, and in the moment right before they're about to be overrun, 
Jessica releases her power. A modified version of an Omega Beam and maybe merged with some ring energy. But the strength behind it is enough to stop the attackers and give her new teammates pause. I thought this was a great story. One of rebirth. I thought this was a great story. One of rebirth, one of redemption, one of renewal, one of hope. But I was intrigued during the whole time that we didn't get to see any elements. But I was intrigued during this story because at no point do we see any elements of the storyline regarding Darkseid and his new gods. While we do know that they are in action and that Darkseid is aware enough to send attackers, we don't actually see what he's been doing with those new gods, which tells me that even though this team was able to fight off its attackers on this space station, that if they try to press forward, they're going to discover new surprises in whatever form Darkseid's new new gods have taken. I really enjoyed this story. I thought it was great to have Jessica Cruz not only come back, but that the story opens with this great sort of message that was coded into the ring by Cyborg about how he believed in her, about how he thinks that she's the reason they're going to succeed if they do, and why he thinks whether upon reflection or whether it's been something that he's been thinking about all along, that Jessica is the person who will hopefully lead the team forward should Cyborg fall. Now, Cyborg has come to recognize that what he wanted to do might no longer be possible and that with that recognition, who to turn to next in his mind is Jessica or it's always been Jessica. And Jessica is the star of this story because she's been struggling this whole time with her identity, with what she wants to do, with how she's going to do it, with whether or not she believes in her mission and the mission of the team. After going head to head with Darkseid and facing her own death and then surviving, or at least being reborn, she appears to have lost any of those doubts. She knows that her team has already been taken over by Darkseid and now that she's been given a new chance, she wants to do everything she can to try to save them. What I love is that this is even before she realizes what her new powers are, or that she has any hope, because at the end of last issue, her ring had been completely depleted of charge. At the moment she's making all these decisions, she doesn't even know whether or not she has enough power with this new team to stop Darkseid. But she does know that she's going to try. Now, I don't know what about that relaxes my little French Bulldog Bruno here to start snoring the way he is, but the fun thing about it is that it lets me know that he's as comfortable as I am in this story of Jessica's renewal, rebirth, and I'm hoping development and growth, and that through this, we'll get to see who Jessica Cruz really can be and just how important she will be to this story. I'm also intrigued by the fact that this has all been going on without showing anything that's been happening with Darkseid and those new gods. And that now that we've seen what Jessica is capable about, capable of with her new powers, it'll be interesting to see what she'll be facing when her and her team, after fighting off his attackers, decide to take the attack 
to him. So many things work really well in this issue. The new cast, the setting, the introduction of their sort of purpose, followed by its change with the arrival of Starfire's sister and Jessica Cruz. And in the process, the origin of Jessica Cruz's new story, one that is no longer just that of Green Lantern, who disobeyed the Justice League to join this team on a mission to stop Darkseid. Instead, it's one about the woman who came through after that original mission appeared to fail and is leading a new team, not only to rescue her old team members, but to bring about the end of her mission to finally stop Darkseid. I really enjoyed this issue. I thought it was quite masterful. I love the mixture of art and tone, the shadows, I love the shading, and the way it all presents this very dark space feeling. This way that there isn't daylight always streaming through. There's bits of starlight, but for the most part, darkness and shadows are a major theme in space. And certainly among the illustration and description of these characters. It's not quite hopeless, but hope is a hard thing to find. And the darkness, it's even harder to recognize. What I love is that it appears Jessica Cruz is shining a bright new light. And that with that, we'll get a chance to see just what happens when it shines more brightly or when it offers a spark to relight the torch of hope, not only for this team, but for the universe she's trying to save. I'm happy to give Justice League Odyssey a solid five out of five. I thought it did everything I wanted it to, and it surprised me with so many of the things that it did that I, one, couldn't predict, and two, couldn't have enjoyed more. I'm going to encourage Anyone who's out there, if you're looking for a place to pick up, this might not be it, but it could be a great opportunity to get all of those issues leading up to this and see just what's led to this moment in this story and then enjoy the rest of the ride. However, since that was our second book, this is the time when we take a quick break share with you some great ads about upcoming events and news from DC Comics News, and then come right back with my third, fourth, and fifth choices. Thanks for your patience and for hanging out and gathering just a little bit of that DC Comics News news. We'll be here right after this quick ad break. Hi, everyone. I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News podcast. Here every week to talk everything DC. Movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. (laughs) No, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked.
<laughs> no. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the Knight. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. Now, my third choice for the DC Comics New Spinner Rack, episode number 26. And thanks for coming back to us after that quick ad break. You know, if you get a chance, if you have a favorite you'd like to share, listen to the end for all the ways you can let me and the rest of the team here know your thoughts about all things DC Comics News, and especially DC Comics News podcasts. Whether it's the main podcasts or the Spinner Rack, the ads the hose, or something else I just haven't mentioned. For my third choice for the DC Comics New Spinner Rack episode number 26, I picked Event Leviathan number 4. I really enjoyed this story that's been put together by Brian Bendis and has been an underlying factor, maybe not getting all of the same press that Doomsday Clock or Year of the Villain might, but also crafting a really interesting narrative about the world behind the world of DC Comics. The intelligence world, one that has existed with numerous groups like Argus and Cadmus and Leviathan and Cobra and have now all fallen to the wayside in apparently a very short period of time and interestingly affecting a wide-ranging cast of characters. At this point in issue number four, we pick up with the team of Superman and others in a story that is essentially part four of this event, Leviathan, written by Brian Michael Bendis, with art and cover by Alex Maleev, letters by Josh Reed, a variant cover by Kara Andrews, and what I feel is a slowly unraveling mystery puzzle, but one that feels just as puzzling with each unraveling. Now, as I mentioned, Superman is with the team, including Manhunter, Green Arrow, Damien, Plastic Man, The Question, and Batman and Lois Lane. They're in the Batcave 
which is an interesting change of setting from the previous issue when they were meeting in Superman's fortress. And the story is told as a flashback, one that points to the exact moment when the end of issue number three, Superman had arrived to provide assistance to Amanda Waller. In this retelling, Superman tries to use super speed, x-ray vision, and many of his other skills to prevent Event Leviathan from taking Amanda Waller. In his belief, she had not been targeted for assassination, or else it would have already been attempted. This was instead an attempt to kidnap her and using technology that they had used previously to remove her from the scene, Superman tried to use his super speed to be prepared. It wasn't enough, and Amanda Waller is now gone, and the team is at a loss. But the team is also in a different place when Superman asked only Batman and Lois to be present while he shared this story. The others, basically feeling like the B-team, are offered the chance to grab a bite to eat in the Batcave kitchen. And during this time, Damien is again taking the task for not only his tone, but his attitude. Each one of the characters recounts why it is that they are there, and the story of the Manhunter takes on a twist, because as it's pointed out by her, her alias, her public persona, has been part of the planning for Vent Leviathan, which is why agents came to arrest her, and her public persona as a lawyer encouraged her to get out quickly and seek help, including from her client, Green Arrow. The rest of the team is also confused by the announcement that Lois Lane has borrowed one of Bruce Wayne's cars and left the mansion. This is all witnessed by Silencer, who makes a unique appearance while tracking the goings-on at Wayne Manor, and why she's able to communicate that Superman has also left the mansion. Why is that? Well, in another flashback scene, the appearance of Barbara Gordon on the main screens in the Batcave is an opportunity for her to communicate that she is a stowaway on Leviathan and believes herself to be the only double agent, that she's surrounded by others, and that she isn't quite sure about how much she can share, especially when she asks who is there and who is listening. She asks them to lock in on her signal, and she's in the moment of providing some very important information. And then her signal breaks. Superman collects Plastic Man, and that is when Silencer sees them both fly away from Wayne Manor. That moment is interrupted by a huge, brilliant flash in the sky. And the story cuts away to Lois Lane arriving at a destination to meet a team that is a very interesting mix of characters and ones that I'm not going to spoil for this choice number three of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. I was happy to give Event Leviathan a five out of five. It's a gorgeous issue. 
there's a tone that's being captured by the art team and it really works with the dialogue and storytelling that Brian Bendis is using in the Cement Leviathan comic book. And in doing so, there's an opportunity to create this noir tone, one that is captured and reflected perfectly by an art team that understands this and uses all of its skills to create the shading, the tone, and some of those elements that make noir feel so raw and also at the same time so refined. The story about a mystery taking place over a short period of time is an intriguing event and it's interesting to see it played out in these issues. Issue number four does a great job with the pacing and with a story that keeps you wondering just who it is that's at the center of it all. Who is Leviathan and when will we get more answers? Now granted, this is a six issue mystery thriller series, so we've got two to go before there's a final revelation, if there is. But what I love about this issue is the way that it continues to keep the mystery alive, fresh, and tantalizing. And that's why I'll be back for Event Leviathan number five. And in the meantime, why I encourage you to pick up or check out my third selection for the spinner rack, a book I'm giving a five out of five, Event Leviathan number four. Now for my fourth choice, I'm moving into Batman and the Outsiders number five. I really enjoyed the way this new take on Batman and the Outsiders, especially with the situations that both Black Lightning and the other cast of characters are in, has created for some really interesting tensions. Writer Brian Hill is matched perfectly with artist Dexter Soy with some great colors from Veronica Gandini, letters by Clayton Cowles, and a cover by Tyler Kirkham and Ari Friano. The variant cover from Kevin Nolan is also part of this great combination, and I think whichever cover you pick, you're gonna be pretty happy. The variant offers a really interesting take on tone with a a great team shot all running in action and this sort of vague steepled background that gives me the chance to say steeple one of the few art terms I remember from art classes uh, specifically and also one that I get a chance to use very rarely in this story Katana and Black Lightning have arrived in Kadim undercover in the hopes of finally getting to Sophia, a metahuman who was kidnapped by Ra's al Ghul and has been transformed. While they are waiting for the call from Caliber, a mercenary who's been working with Batman to improve not only himself but what his mission and how he can use it to impact the lives around him, Katana and Black Lightning have a conversation about being in a situation and making the choice to take a life, a decision that Katana has made many times, 
and chosen to take life and one that Black Lightning still hasn't faced. Her advice is that it's something he will face one day and that he should prepare for it and that when he does make the choice, guilt will find him either way. This great moment of tension is interrupted by the call from Caliber and the team moves in to bring back Sophia who's been weaponized by Ra's al Ghul. And through a little bit of deduction, they can see that she's been drugged and they believe an attempt has been made to brainwash her. Katana faces off with Sophia while Black Lightning does his best to stave off the surprise attack. Now the intriguing part is at some moment, both Black Lightning and Katana realize that given how they're eventually able to overcome not only Sophia but the hidden attackers that there was a chance that what they were walking into was a trap but if what they've just faced was a trap it was a weak one and if it's not the original trap the main intention then that means the attack is occurring somewhere else Waz Al Ghul arrives to face other members of the team and makes a suggestion that he's about to demonstrate how it is that Batman has failed them. I think this means he's going to, or his intention, is to beat them and show them how he hasn't trained or prepared them for what's coming. I think it'll really make an interesting scenario when they get a chance to see just what they're made of against Ra's al Ghul and we get a chance to see just what a warrior who's lived numerous lifetimes and is the only one to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe for so long against Batman in a sword fight can do to this team that while he's worked with them a bit, Batman has, for the most part, put the responsibility on Black Lightning. I know Katana's a great swords person, but I'm not sure how well the others can fare against a warrior like Ra's al Ghul. It'll be interesting to see just what issue number six brings us but regarding Batman the Outsiders number five I thought this book was just shy of a solid five my score a 4.5 out of 5 is recognition to the great art and writing teams and also to the way that they work so well together creating a really ominous undercover spy experience a covert military action one that feels very different from what you might get from a war comic or similar comic it has the element of spycraft and the sense of deception and international danger and yet through it is the the message of good people doing what they believe they need to do in order to save a life or prevent one from either being taken or used. The only moments that were missing for me was the overall pacing, which at times felt slow, like a spy story, and then later seemed to pick up but without the degree of pacing that, that heightened the intensity of the action of the story. Aside from that minor moment, 
This was a great issue, one I was happy to share and read, and one that I'm proud to list as my fourth choice on the DC Comics New Spinner Rack. Now my fifth and final choice is Collapser number three, a story titled Black Holes and Revelations, written by Mikey Way and Sean Simon, featuring the art of Ilias Kiriazis, colors by Chris Peter, with letters by Simon Bowen, and a cover by Ilias Kiriazis, or sorry, Ilias Kiriazis. Thanks for understanding when sometimes I don't always get those names right. If you've been reading Collapser, you know that the young man in the story, our lead hero, our star, Liam James, has a light that was about to take off and was suddenly interrupted by a black hole of all things, one that is in the middle of his chest and he has little to no control over. In the process of trying to understand who he is, he's lost an elderly friend at a nursing home where he works and the chance at a great job. And in the middle of chaos, when a skullhead figure is throwing bombs out of a hot air balloon, he is greeted by that same elderly senior, Mr. Edgar, who is actually the embodiment of a presence, the black hole itself, taking on a familiar form in order to have a conversation with Liam about who he is and how he came to be. This is the origin story for Liam James, a story about how his father was a brilliant writer in the opinions of some, and a curiosity in the opinion of many. Someone who was working on something very powerful, an idea about capturing and harnessing a black hole. A collaboration with the skull figure now chasing Liam. A baron who has very evil plans for the black hole and who was stopped by Liam's father who became a superhero and was able to use the black hole for good and even start a small group to begin affecting a larger change. His father became somewhat twisted after seeming to gain his goal and is now and has become a darker version of himself, one that his mother could no longer allow to exist and that caused her to take the black hole, trap Liam's father, and free the people that Liam's father had enslaved. However, because she had done this, the power that she had was something that creatures from all across the universe would desire. And knowing she was pregnant with Liam, she gave him up to his grandmother so that he would have a chance at a normal life and that she could try to separate herself and keep him safe for as long as possible. Through this 
experience, Liam gets a chance to harness his powers, stop the attack, and, as it's shown one month later, become a local, if not growing to larger scale hero. One who is confident, smooth, cool, and completely unaware that he's under attack and that all of the trappings of his new life, his new manager, and his success are about to be undone and that he might soon have to rely on those from his recent past who he has no longer been in communication with. It's a great story with a really different art look that has been part of what I've sort of been drawn to initially when it comes to Collapser. I think that Mikey Way, Sean Simon are telling an original story, one that I really enjoy and one that is perfectly matched by this great art team led by Ilias Kiriazis. I think that one of the hardest things to do in comics is create a new character and in the process make him feel alive and relevant and someone you want to see expand in the DC universe. And that's what I'm getting from this story, Collapser. One of the reasons why I've been so happy each time that it's succeeded or exceeded my expectations and given me the chance to feature it here on the Spinner Rack. I'm happy to also give this book a great 5 out of 5 score, one that I feel it has earned each time and one that I'm excited to see if it can continue to maintain. I think that the way that this team works, the way that they take this story and use all of the best elements to capture this very disjointed present and also pay homage to the classic styles of the past really do a great job of giving this story an original style and one that feels fresh and one that allows me to talk about it in the present as something new as something different as a story i've just discovered instead of one that i have to research to not only understand its history but also to relate that history to its present what i'm finding with collapser is that it does a great job of creating its own present and its own history and that the story it's telling is one that I've been really enjoying and I'm looking forward to seeing just how far it plans on taking this concept because the universal scale it suggested lets me consider the possibility that first we're going to see what Liam can do here on Earth, but gradually we're going to get a chance to see just how far into the universe his character can go and what sort of adventures that might mean for us, the readers. Again, Collapser number three, my fifth and final choice for episode number 26 of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. And I love the fact that we're ending with a five out of five. And that means it's time for that ever brief reminder that DC Comics News is now on all the major podcast platforms whether it's Apple Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play so if you haven't yet head on over, subscribe and rate us I think we're 5 stars if you think different, leave your score and any notes you'd like to include in your review 
If you want to contact us or communicate or share us on social media, you can find DC Comics News on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube. And to let us know that you want us to know, all you have to do is add that tag at DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S. I'm also going to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast so that you can catch not only every episode of DC Comics News Spinner Rack, but also so you can catch each weekly episode of the DC Comics News Podcast, where you can find myself and other DC Comics News reviewers and editors talking about all the news coming out, film, television, and comic books from DC Comics. And also, look forward to an upcoming series from my good friend Steve J. Ray, a co-host on the DC Comics News Podcast Network, and soon to be host of a ongoing series, I Am the Night, featuring episode-by-episode breakdowns of Batman the Animated Series. All this and more are great reasons to subscribe to the DC Comics News Podcast, so you never miss an episode of the podcasts you've come to know and all the new ones on the horizon. Thanks again for hanging out with me on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 26. I've been your host, Seth Singleton, and I look forward to joining you next week as we travel to that interdimensional place where the Spinner Rack holds all of the comics we want to read and want to share. Until next time. Thanks for joining us, folks. See you next time.